Welcome to the Boiler Podcast, brought to you by Selenis, providing tools to build your expertise and customer value. Today's podcast has an introduction and safety moment on texting while driving by Stephen Wilson and a great discussion on on-guard eye controller for BPPC and Leak Alert by David Roof and others. Well, thank you everyone for uh, taking the time to, to be on. We're, we're still kind of in the process of uh, developing this thing and um, hoping to make it uh, continue, you know, continue to make it a worthwhile uh, thing for everyone to call into or Skype into every month. Um, a small change to I had off. Stephen Wilson has a has an excellent safety presentation for us uh, for this meeting. And uh, so with that, if everybody's strapped in and ready to go, Stephen, I'll uh, you have the floor. Hey guys, I'm Stephen Wilson, and uh, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, Scott, when he reached out to me, said, "Hey, I'd love for you to do a safety topic," and I was like. I don't know what I'm going to present on. And sure enough, the next day, I uh, am on the road, and I uh, pass by this on 26. So I pull over, and I ask what's going on. And they said a lady was texting while she was driving. It was raining, and she ran off the road. And I was like, well, man, that's perfect. I got a safety topic now. So um, I wanted you all to see this. It's very fortunate this woman didn't hurt the people in her car. Um, she had her mother traveling with her and her grandmother. So can you imagine wiping out the whole side of a family? Um, it, it would be really sad. So fortunately, they were fine um, and nobody got injured, but um, it could have been worse. So here's some general statistics. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes each year. Nearly 330,000 injuries occur each year from accidents caused by texting while driving. One in every four car accidents in the United States are caused by texting and driving. Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause accidents than driving drunk, which is was pretty astounding to me. Um, answering a text can take your attention away for five seconds, and at traveling 55 miles an hour, you can travel the length of a football field. So. Um, it really was kind of daunting to me thinking uh, that this has really become an epidemic. When you see people swerving on the roads these days, a lot of times they're not drunk, they're texting. And uh, so it, it's really something that is something we need to pay attention to, especially in our companies. Um, and we don't do it just for our company, honestly. It's, it's really for our families. Um, uh, we want to be there for our families. As you can see, that's my wife and son, and, and I don't want to miss out on anything in their lives. And so I feel like safety matters to me most when it's personal. And, uh, and it's not really worth me texting somebody about defoam or something going on in my mill and miss out on the rest of these people's lives. So we go to work so we can be a part of their lives and, and support them. So it'd be terrible if we, uh, if we want to respond to a text and, and, and risk that. Um, we also do it to be examples to our children. Uh, 11 teens die every day as a result of texting and driving. 21% of teenager drivers involved in fatal accidents are distracted by their cell phones. Teen drivers are four times more likely than adults to get into a car crash uh, when texting or talking on cell phones. Thinking about that, I mean, your kids are watching you, and as they grow up, and I have a little boy, if he watches me text my whole life, and I say, don't text when you drive, but I've been doing it my whole life, of course he's going to listen, you know, like all kids do. So it, it's one of those things where it's we're an example for people. Um, this was from a, the mother of a, of a son that was texting while driving, and she's he was the, her son was the victim of this. But in a split second, you could ruin your future injure or kill others and tear a hole into the heart of everyone who loves you. And uh, in this closing story I have, uh, these are two of my best friends. One uh, was a girl that I grew up uh, on the left, Melissa Eustace, and the one on the right, Jessica Fulmer. Melissa Eustace, uh, we did everything together growing up. And, and the one on the right, I went to a, 
um, Christmas in a prom with. Both of these girls at the same time were in the same car, were run off the road by a guy texting, and uh, neither of them made it. And they were 18 years old. So um, just another example of, of the tragic loss, and, and goodness knows what this guy was texting. So in closing, um, take the safest route home. Sometimes a swervy road is not always the best road to take. Uh, it may take you a little more time, but it's well worth it. Take time to pull over if it's important to respond. Um, leave your phone in a place you can't reach. It's so tempting when you hear your phone go off. Man, that's a customer. I need to respond real fast. I've been waiting for this call all day. Put it somewhere where you can't reach it because it's super tempting to re reach down and look at it, and then you've taken your eyes off the road. Also, be an example for your kids and family around you, and uh, practice what you preach. Um, Saying you're too busy is a myth. People make time for the things that are really important to them to so make safety important. So in closing, I just ask that you guys think about that and uh, and try to avoid texting while driving. And that's all I got. All right. Great, great job, Stephen. Does anybody have any questions or comments? David Roof is going to uh, take over our uh, the technical presentation slot today and talk about the on-guard eye and uh, and leak alert. So whenever you're ready, Dave, take off. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about over the last several years, whenever the on-guard eye controller was, uh, was, was made, established, however you want to say it, was how, how good it is and what all it can do. Well, what we wanted to talk about today is, is a couple – uh, things we've learned from real-world experiences. You know, saying what it can do is, is one thing, but uh, actually being out there in the field, seeing what it does, we can learn a lot from that. We can pass on and be successful. So uh, today I wanted to go over a very quick uh, eye controller overview for those who have not seen it, worked with it, talk about the DPPC, the boiler pH, uh, phosphate control, or in-the-box control, leak alert, which is something that, Anyone who has been around recovery boilers, high-pressure boilers, uh, when we talk about those types of things, it's very important to be able to identify a leak. And whenever we talk about blurback standards, you know, they're always wanting to know every time there's a leak, how was it identified, what did you do, things of that nature. And then you know, one of the most important things is the learning and recommendations. Uh, so we'll go through this. Uh, there's two sections to stop and ask questions. If you have any questions, let me know. So starting off, talk about the eye controller, what can it do? Uh, for those of you who have seen it, then uh, you're familiar, but those of you who have not, on the right-hand side is our eye controller. Uh, it's, it is the most advanced system out there that I've worked with. I've worked with different types, pace setters, uh, other types of things. We've all heard of 3D Tracer. Eye controller can do some pretty cool things. Um, one of the things that it does that no one else does is it will implement performance and knowledge-based corrective actions. We're not talking about measuring um, or just adjusting based on flows. We're talking about measuring real residuals plus keeping in the box, plus looking at in water, out water, steam, all those different types of things. So we'll get into that a little bit more. And that is custom algorithms. We've got some really uh, smart folks that have programmed this, and we work with Tom Clay and the equipment group. Uh, so they're always supporting this, and it's, it's a game changer, to be honest with you. Um, it can control up to four different boilers. So it can control boilers, towers, all different types of things. The cool part about this is that it's uh, it's a very easy to navigate with a touch screen. You can access it from the internet, and um, you know it's anywhere in the world you can get to it as long as we have connection to it. Another good thing is that DCS and mill-wide communications are are, are limitless. Uh, we've had this installed in several different places where it's four to twenties or it's you know digital analog, all kinds of different ways of connecting to it. So it's uh, very easy to connect to the mill system. And uh, you can send data to it, get data from it, control it, all those types of things. So let's get right into the BPPC part. Uh, for those of you who have ever worked with BPPC and you've worked with the old equipment, you could only feed um, uh, one or pro one or you know one product at a time. But what we do here is for BPPC, we have an upblend, we have a downblend. Typically, your upblend is your trisodium phosphate. And your downblend or your low uh, pH, lower no caustic, is your mono or disodium phosphate. We 
we design our programs so that it's around specific pressures. Um, you know, higher pressures need lower phosphate or can have lower phosphate in the water. Lower pressures can have higher. So we have matched pairs, uh, systems that are uh, programs that are designed specifically for our system. And the really cool thing about this system is it can feed both products at the same time. Uh, I had a pace setter in a site where it would feed one product, weight, measure, then feed the other one if it needed to. So it doesn't take long for if you're always feeding one product for you to go way high or way low on pH, and then you got to you know chase your tail and get back there. So what does all this mean if we can feed both at the same time as we have better response, better control? Real quickly, these are three different boxes to show in the box. You know, 95% or 90 to 95% has been the standard for a very, very long time. Uh, at the top left, 100% manual, you could be anywhere from 45 to 85% in the box. There is no mill out there right now that you could go to and say, would you run your paper mill or your paper machines between 45 and 85% compliance? They're going to laugh at you. So the industry started doing uh, automation. So with 90% automation, first generation, you get between 90 to 95%. That's better, but still, you go to a paper mill, would you run at 10% or 5% out? No way. So you go down to the bottom when the OnGuard eye controller was installed, was uh, created, 98 to 100%. So that's where now we're talking about really controlling, dialing in our chemistry, cost savings, cost avoidance, those types of things. So we've come a long way in the last uh, 25 years or so. And real quick, this is an actual example that I've seen in a mill very close to me where on the left-hand side, you've got first-generation control. It's still automated, right, but you've got stuff outside the box, high, low pH, that type of thing. You look on the right, and it's, it's almost a dot. You could almost pick a uh, corner of that box and say, this is where I'm going to dial it into, and you can see how well it controls. So it's, it's pretty amazing how... Not only is it we're still in the box, but we're able to, to dial back some of our chemistry if need to, and we can even save some, some money to the customer. Are there any questions so far on the BPPC or in-the-box control with the on-guard? Let me ask hey, a question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. If you have a, uh, a recovery boiler next to a power boiler and you put them both on that one on-guard eye, is there – are both screens able to be visible and it keeps them both in the box? You, so the runtime screen, you actually have to go back from one to the other, but the OnGuard can control both. So it can do all the stuff in the background, but you're only going to look at one screen at a time as far as looking at all the pumps, looking at pH, look at all the readings. You do have to go back and forth. Uh, so no, you can't have both on one. And the screen is not like what eight inch or something like that. So it'd be kind of hard to fit two on there. But if you're pulling it up on a computer uh, inside the powerhouse, can can you have them both up? If, on you see the lines? same thing. Well, you, you see the same thing on your computer. If you have a computer in the control room, it's the same screen. The You'll screen. see the same thing. Yeah, it'd be the same thing. So it's just a mirror image. I got you. All right, thanks. Hey, Dave, could you go to the previous slide? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's amazing control. That picture on the right is I've never seen anything like that. That that's incredible. So I gotta imagine to get that kind of control, the customer system has to be capable, right? So yeah. if <laughs> so, I, I would imagine that. I, I mean, even even the the graph to the left, the customer system's got to be capable to uh, spend right. that kind of time in the box. So um, does, does the on-guard eye, if, if you're not getting that kind of picture on the right, but you know the on-guard eye can do it, does that then help you find some special cause or common cause variations in the customer system that you can, you know, go find, identify, get fixed, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, leaks or, or pump variation or I mean I, if 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 I'm if I'm another Salenis guy out there in the field and I'm not getting that control, it should be able to tell me that the eye controller can do it if it's not giving me 
that type control, it's probably something in the customer's system that's not capable. Go find it. Yes. So it's a good question, um, and that actually leads us into the next part where we talk about leak alert because you can have BPPC control without leak alert, but you can't have leak alert without the BPPC equipment and things. So, yes, the, the short answer is when you dive into things, if you have all the capable equipment or the necessary equipment uh, and you're logging all of your data, you can go find out why. You can look at um, data. If you have information coming in, you can look at that, and that will help you troubleshoot. You can look at what your chemical feed rates are. You can look at your blowdowns. So there are ways to troubleshoot outside of, um, of just, you know, your normal thinking, all that data that comes in, and you can look at it, trend it. So, yeah, you can, you can figure out. It's, it's pretty powerful. I can, uh, I can add one personal experience where with the uh, BPPC system, we identified and found a leaking chemical feed line that no one was aware of. Yeah, that's, that's something else that not many people really think about, right? When, uh, when they, they think they have, you know, the residuals just going down, they just start turning stuff up. Well, the way that the eye controller equipment is set up is it tells you exactly how much chemical is being fed. So if you see your chemical feeds going up, uh, but your residuals going down, you can start troubleshooting it that way too. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of little neat things that you can do. Well, and, Marshall. And and that that also kind of uh, segues into uh, David Roof, doesn't it? The fact that we're running both water mass balance and chemical mass balance, right? So if only the chemical mass balance is is going Mustang on you, and the water, you know, in other words, if if the feedback from the eye controller is is showing chemical feeds going up as a response to residuals going down right that could mean a leak or it could mean that you've got a, a yep. busted a busted chemical feed line but if the water mass balance as a, as a redundant system is telling you everything's okay that may lead you towards hey maybe i do have a leak as opposed to if both if you have an indication on both the chemical mass balance side and the water mass balance side that's a that's a stronger indication that you should be leaning towards the leak indication right you are 100 percent correct and so we'll get into that here in just a second so that is a that is a perfect segue into the leak alert so uh for anyone who has not dealt with leak alert it is exactly as it sounds it's leak detection it is a leak alert system what we do though is we use two different ways of doing this we have a water and we have a chemical so as scott was just saying well why do i need to have both well we live in a world where there, there's no one single piece of equipment that is accurate 100% of the time, whether that's a flow meter or a pump or, um, uh, you know, any type of drawdown system. So analyzer. Leak alert does both. Does, yeah, the analyzer. So you got water mass balance that's using all the inputs, the metered inputs, feed water, flow in, flow down, out, steam out, soot blowing steam, a temperation water, all those types of flow meters. The chemical is looking at, you know, either phosphate or some type of trace chemical um, using an, an analyzer like a hawk or swan or something like that. And then it actually tells you how much chemical you're feeding, whether it's through a drawdown assembly or a flow meter you see down here at the bottom. Um, I've used both. Uh, personally, I like the flow meter a little bit better, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. But uh, the bottom line is we're doing um, – two checks. We're not just relying on one. We're, we're kind of cross-checking ourselves. Um, and what this does is whenever we start to see a variance in how much water is going in versus how much steam is going out and how much blowdown is going out, as that variation gets bigger, we might have a leak. If chemical going in is not giving the residual that we expect based on what the concentration of the phosphate or something is in our product, as that gets bigger, we might have a leak. And it tells us. So, uh, you know, we go into the next slide, and it's not just one point in the boiler. This can look at everything. When we talk about looking at economizers, superheaters, boiler wall tubes, uh, screen tubes, which I've had seen personally, floor tubes, uh, it, it, can, it can look at all of that based on the, the mass balance around the entire system. So a lot of work goes up, it goes into this up front, really understanding your system, 
but once you understand that system uh, and you have all that data put in here, I've seen it calculate down or find a leak down to less than 8,000 pounds per hour. And Marshall or Scott, you guys might know exactly what that number is, but it is amazing how low uh, it can go as far as finding a leak if you have the right equipment, as, as Dave was saying earlier. Uh, so, again, with the chemical mass balance, same type of thing. Uh, it's Barry Clanton. I just wanted to point out, and you might want to mention that when this system can has the capability of identifying a concentrated boiler leak versus a feed water leak, and that's that's the difference that uh, means a lot of different a lot of value. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. You're absolutely right. So. Just like here where it says response to a boiler water leaks, you know, cycled boiler water, um, you can do anything from, as Barry, you were saying, feed water leak all the way back to the end where we're looking at the blowdown and looking at all the residuals. So it can, you know, it's water in, water out. Uh, the one thing, the one caveat here is the only way you get a true leak alert system where you have water and chemical mass balance is if you have an analyzer for your your chemical so i have here phosphate analyzer because that's what i deal with mostly but if you don't have an analyzer doing your test every 10 to 15 minutes continuously you can't do chemical mass balance no operator does a test every 10 to 15 minutes we like to think that they do it once a shift or several times a day every mill i've ever been to they'll walk away and they'll write down too busy to run a test to run a cross check so now you're just hoping the test 24 hours ago is the same as it is right now, if you were to test it. So when we were talking <clears throat> excuse me, earlier about our how, how we use this, this leak detection matrix is what we preach to every single customer, whether they're using our leak alert system or they're trying to use their own DCS calculations. You can have an indication of a leak on the water mass, and nothing on the chemical mass, check your, check your flow meters. Are your flow meters working? Have you lost power? Do you have an unmonitored blowdown line, which I see all the time at one particular site? But the chemical, but the chemical mass balance might be a little bit slower, but the water mass is faster because it's trying to maintain leveling steam drum. Or, or, vice versa. Or, have, or, Dave, sorry to interrupt you, but just throw in uh, – Barry's point from just a second ago, if you've got an economizer, you know, if you're feeding chemicals to the drum, right, you may not catch that without water mass balance. But if you have an economizer leak, you'll catch it on the water mass balance side. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I have seen repeatedly where people have uh, or mills have much older equipment uh, are leaks in chemical feed lines. So water mass balance is running perfectly, but we see our pumps are starting to go from 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50% output, but our phosphate residual is going down. It has helped us locate, just like what Marshall said, it's helped us find leaks on chemical feed lines or chemical feed injection points, or a operator has put a pump in manual instead of leaving it in automatic where it'll go up and down based on your test. So. This matrix is, matrix is something that we go over, you know, a ton because everyone says, oh, I have a leak on one side, but the other one doesn't. So we got to go look for stuff. Well, maybe, but this is when it's important to fully understand what could cause that to happen. So, again, this is our cross-check of ourselves looking at, uh, at, at possible leaks, so whether it's in an economizer or it's in the cycle of boiler water. So all that being said, that's great. We'd love to be able to check and see if, or be able to monitor constantly for a leak, whether it's water side or, uh, or chemical side. There's a lot that has to go into it, not only understanding the system, like the, the actual water mass balance of the, of the, uh, the unit, but you got to have flow meters. So when you talk about water mass, you got to have steam, flow down, feed water, slip lower, temperation. You got to have all of those meters. Everything going in, you got to measure. Everything coming out, you got to measure. Same thing with the chemical mass balance. You got to know how much you're blowing down. You got to know how much chemical you're feeding, which I said earlier, you can do it with either drawdown type um, units or you can do it with flow meters. And you got to have a chemical that you can trace 
with an analyzer, like a Hawk or Swan analyzer. If you have all of those pieces, then you can run this. And if you have all these pieces and they're working or not working, you can do troubleshooting to understand why you're not getting in that single point of uh, in the boxes, as it was stated earlier, instead of having that shotgun look. So all of this equipment is needed to run, but it's also used to troubleshoot why you're not bringing your percent in the box to that one single point and being able to save, uh, you know, headaches or, you know, saving money for that matter. Hey, David, what's the typical cost for a mill, say, one recovery boiler to put in a reliable blow-down flow meter and a phosphate analyzer? A phosphate analyzer, now, and we're going to get to that part two, um, a SWAN phosphate analyzer can range anywhere from ten to 20000 uh, I think the one I've quoted recently to a site was about fifteen. So the cost of that is about fifteen to the customer. Uh, the cost of installation, I've heard anywhere from two to three x, right? When you have to talk about MOC changes, running wires, and all that kind of stuff. So let's figure forty-five to fifty thousand for that piece. Um, the blowdown flow meter itself, I, I honestly I can't tell you because that's when you get into engineering for the mill where the blowdown line is, if they have to cut line, if they have, uh, or if they have a place that they already have one, they just have to replace it. So that could be another 50,000 too. Um, I know when I talked to a recent customer who has four boilers, wants to do all of them, and they were looking at doing two at, at first, on-guard controller, all the pumps, all the skids, uh, minus the, the blowdown flow meter, each boiler was just over $100,000. But that's feed skid and everything. So I'd say somewhere in that range of a hundred grand is probably probably pretty good good estimate. Thank you. No problem. Um, all right. So when we start talking about you know, monitoring leaks, everyone knows about false alarms. You can have an alarm. Oh, we have a leak. We have a leak. Uh, that's when we have to start looking at how sensitive our system is. So what you see on the screen now. This is what an operator would see. They would see two bars. They'd see a, a, half of it on the left is green, half of it on the right is red. You'll have a chemical mass and a water mass balance, assuming you have all the necessary flow meters and equipment. And then what we do, based on how reliable uh, those instruments are, we adjust what we call a tail fraction. So that would be the right side or the red part. What that means is you adjust that number to make it more or less sensitive. We start off with, let's say, a 5% tail fraction. And so I'm throwing these numbers out here, so that's not necessarily important right now, but what it means is if you go to a larger number, so if you go from five to say 10, you're gonna increase your sensitivity roughly by two to two and a half, two and a half times. You go from 5% down to one, you're gonna decrease it roughly by, by um, you know, almost 50% or, you know, or more. So you have to be very careful how you pick your tail fraction to take out noise, again, from any flow meters that have a little bit of variability or phosphate analyzers or anything that has a little bit of variability. And I've, I've had to do that several times. So you see down here at the bottom where it talks about you can select your sensitivity based on the response you want. If your customer knows that they have flow meters that are kind of wonky at times, they say, you know, we can live with a little bit of uh, of a um, of, of noise well let's take that out let's not get those false alarms but if you if your customer says we never have any uh, excursions unless it's a true leak they want it to be more sensitive so that's when we we decrease our um, our sensitivity or increase our sensitivity by by uh, changing that tail fraction so if anyone has questions around this particular part um, let's talk offline because there's a lot of math and stuff that goes behind it but I just wanted to show everybody there is a visual scale that they can see how close they're getting to having more data that is showing a potential leak or an actual leak versus just seeing a number. Like you can actually see a sliding scale of where you're going. This to me is actual uh, pictures of, of, of a site that, I've, that I treat. Um, there's, there's two different ways you can look at it. The top left, is what we call our recent data. There's a one hour and a 10 hour trend. And at the bottom right is a sequence data trend. The top left is 
very, very good when you want to see what's going on with your system. It actually tells you what your actual phosphate and your phosphate residual is based on the test, and it tells you what your predicted is. If your predicted is higher than your actual, well, that means you could potentially have a leak or your pump is leaking and you're not feeding the chemical. As those get further and further apart, meaning you're supposed to have 20 but you're only at 15, that red line, that's your, that's your potential leak. As it goes up, then you're getting closer to getting an alarm. You see that pink box at the top, that's where our tail fraction is. I can lower that tail fraction or make it more sensitive so smaller deviations are going to get picked up and give me an alarm. It's easier to see that if you look down at the bottom right. All of those dots are one-hour averages. So you see any dot that's in that upper pink or the tail fraction range, we actually get an alarm. It tells us you have a chemical mass balance alarm. So we start looking at things. We start looking for leaks on the pump. We start looking at how much um, chemical is being fed versus what normally is being fed. We look for blowdown lines that are open, all those types of things. You can get the same thing here on the water mass balance. Now, uh, this particular site I have, their actual flow in versus predicted is pretty dead on all the time. But when, because it's dead on all the time, we have to adjust our sensitivity. So if we do have a slight little blip in, in the way it, uh, it's operating, we don't get you know, too many false alarms. So you look down here at the bottom right. This is before I changed anything. So you can see the more sensitive you have it based on how accurate your equipment is, you will get alarms if you have a, a blip. So that's why we have more blips in here than we did on the chemical mass balance. They like that because they know it's more reliable. They know their phosphate analyzer is not as reliable. So, uh, you know, this is this is a way that we go and make sure we don't have unmonitored blowdown lines open or that our equipment is scaled properly or working properly. So, again, you know, as I said at the beginning of all this, knowing that it can do it is one thing, but actually having real-world experience and learning some of the headaches around trying to dial these things in, because once you dial them in and they are learning your system, they can they can take off and they'll, they'll control everything. But there are things that we, we know have to happen up front. You have to have reliable equipment. If you have flow meters that are not working properly, you can forget having a water mass balance that's going to be helpful in any way. Um, you can have inconsistencies or you can have temperature can affect things. I've seen that. I've even seen this happen to me yesterday where they changed the scaling on the blowdown flow meter and it was showing 3,000 pounds an hour less blowdown than they were actually having. That threw everything off. My chemicals cut back because we weren't blowing down as much. My chemical mass balance started changing. My water mass balance started changing because it was still seeing the same water in, but the water going out was was not was not there. So it, it did some funky calculations. The same thing for your analyzer. We have an analyzer at a site right now. It's the new Hawk 5500. And for anyone that has a Hawk 5500, I strongly recommend you go to your mill and try and get them to switch. We only recommend the Swan analyzer now. The old Hawk 5000 is not supported by Hawk anymore. They're making you do the 5500. And it is known around the industry that the 5500 has a lot of issues, limitations. It's very uh, much affected by temperature. So even in a, a recent recovery boiler audit that I, that I had, uh, one of the corporate technical folks told me they don't like the Hawk 5500. They want Swan anywhere that they can. So if you don't have a reliable unit, your chemical mass balance is, is, is never going to work either. Um, so that's, that's another piece. What sort of maintenance is around the swan? Say that again? Is there, is there more maintenance around the swan instrument versus the hawk? With all of the issues I've heard around the 5500, there's drastically reduced maintenance required around the swan. You still have reagents that you have to change. But when we talk about problems with the hawk, I'm talking it doesn't get a sample, capillaries blow off, uh, the colorimeter inside needs to be recalibrated and or replaced. Um, you can have temperature affect your reading. You can have temperature affect your reagents. So there's a we've had to move our we've had to move our units. We've had to put um, vortex coolers in them. It, it's it's been 
it's been a nightmare when it comes to that. And they've even had to replace boards. I personally have not heard of any issues like that with a swan. I'm sure there's some out there because no equipment is perfect. But the power plants I've been to, they even want to go to swan because you're talking about getting all the way down to 1 to 2 ppm of phosphate, you know, to, to be that reliable. So, hey, uh, David, this is Dave Jellison. Um, hey, so let me, I, I can comment on swan. Um, when uh, I was at GE, we actually tried to buy them. And I went back and forth with the owner of Swan a few times, made the trip into, they're, ba they're based out of uh, Zurich. Um, the, these guys are outstanding, okay, compared to Hawk. The quality of what they do, um, I've seen it personally. Uh, in the power industry, they're kind of known as the standard, their measurement, and, and you can talk about conductivity, you can talk about all kind of things with, with Swan analyzers. But I don't think personally um, there's any comparison um, that exists between Swan and Hawk. I'd go with Swan every day and twice on Sundays. That's my opinion. Yep. I appreciate that. That's a ditto from me, too, from what I've seen. So, you know, when when you hear two different people talk about it, especially when you have your corporate technical folks saying the same thing, we we do not like the hawk because of the issues. Um, again, every piece of equipment is going to have to be calibrated and have some maintenance done, but it is far, far less than any other piece that I've heard. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, so plus, plus we don't like Donaher, okay, because they own Chemtree. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's another reason. Okay. Um, you know, the, the last bullet on this slide talks about leak alert is only as accurate as the data that's sent to it. I can't say that enough to anyone on this call. I can't say it enough to any of our customers. Um, our calculations or our equipment is all based on our feed equipment being reliable, our drawdown equipment being reliable, and their monitoring equipment to be reliable. Remember, this is their equipment. They own the analyzer or they own the flow meters, right? So if they're giving us, quote, unquote, junk data in, our system is going to take that and it's going to respond. I have a site where I've implemented over 10 function blocks, which is a whole other discussion, but it is they've been designed to handle their equipment faults, meaning a phosphate analyzer that every 24 hours will go from reading a perfect 20 ppm of phosphate drop down to zero for one or two readings and then come back. So what do you think that does to your chemical mass balance? It makes it go haywire. So we've done a number of things to try and get around their equipment not being accurate or reliable. That's not where we want to be because now you're desensitizing your equipment by is this really uh, a real problem or is it not? So we have to make sure all of the data coming to us is as accurate as it can possibly be and then that is how you make your shotgun go to a single point, as the question was asked earlier. Our system can do it. This will help you find out why. It's, and you trend all that data and you look at it. You can start to point optimize specific things so the whole thing is optimized. And this is a Band-Aid using function blocks. It is not the solution. So I'm not telling anybody to do that. It can be done, but it is not as good as having reliable equipment. And Dave, uh, to that point, I know what you're talking about specifically, but it also creates uh, a perception that it's the leak alert. It's the technology, the Salinas technology that's not functioning properly. It can create that perception when in reality it's faulty analyzers or flow meters or, or whatever it is. So I think it's important that we get, you know, all, all those pieces put in the right places. Uh, for that reason as well, just throwing that out there. Without, oh, without question, that, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, it's we we've had customers say your system can't do what it says it does, but you know, when you have junk data, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, it's just not going to work. So, good point. Thank you. Hey, David, Bob, you'll another just, learning. Uh, yes, Dave, I got a quick question. How does this the leak alert? And I'm asking a question I know the answer to, but I just thought want to make sure it's clear to everybody. How does Leak Alert compare to the competition? 
my understanding of what I've heard is leak alert is superior. I know Buckman has theirs. I know Nalco has their 3D Tracer. A lot of what I've heard uh, and sites that have those two uh, those two suppliers, they have to have their own uh, water mass balance, for instance, while they're trying to use 3D Tracer or the Buckman's uh, chemical mass balance. Um, I know when I go to Blurback, and every time I've heard, and all the times I've been, this, this, this is what I've seen, all the times I've been, every time there's been a leak around a Nalco or Buckman treated boiler, their system has not picked it up. It is confirmed it later maybe, but it has not identified it, especially not down to 8,000 pounds. So to answer your question, Bob, my impression and talking with folks is there is nothing like this out there. Ours is far superior as long as we have the proper equipment, proper maintenance, and you know we're, we're keeping an eye on it and making adjustments as needed. Yeah, and David, you're correct. The, the big difference is one is all the other ones use one simple um, trait um, algorithm. You know, we're using both chemical and mass balance, and that's the big difference. And so, um, just you're you're exactly right on, and exactly what they say at Blair back too. So I appreciate that. We have had one of the technology engineers. I'll just say, Dave. Oh no, Marshall, go ahead. Uh, this is Jim Meredith. I was going to echo what Bob said. Uh, I sat in a meeting, a technical presentation meeting at Georgia Pacific, and Carl Morency, who heads up their group, basically said that, in his opinion, what he's seen of our controller, the OnGuard Eye controller, that it's the best in class out in the industry right now. And Susan Childress with IP feels the same way. Jack told us in the meeting in Memphis that he felt like our boiler controller, the eye controller, was a best-in-class element. I'll chime in, too, as a former Nalco guy. That, uh, when we first came out with Tracer, we had to tune the sensitivity way, way down because we had so many false alarms that people were taking it out. It was aggravating. And when they made it less sensitive, they made it less usable, okay? And so that's why they don't see uh, the small leaks that we see uh, with our system. I was involved in a sales call at a long time, Malco Mill, two or three weeks ago. They were interested in what we had to say about BPPC and leak alert. At the end of the presentation, they said, when can you give us a proposal? Uh, wow. they, they were totally frustrated with the uh, with the system, the trace R system they had in place, and uh, like I say, they said, "When can you give us a proposal?" So, uh, what what we hear is we we have an excellent capability, but we do a very poor job of marketing it. Well said. Thank you, Marshall. And and maybe well that was, that was one of the reasons to Marshall's in the end of Marshall's point there one of the reasons that uh, Andrew Ledley was gonna uh, top this off and unfortunately it was unable to to uh, to make the call but uh, marketing group is aware of the challenges uh, there and and the need for us to you know all all the things that have been said Barry Jim Marshall. Uh, Dave, point that Bob brought up, you know, that's that's the next step is to make sure that everybody knows that that it's a that it, you know the technology being the best in class is a um, is a given, and so um, I guess we all need to work work to push that and emphasize that. I think we got to get comfortable with the language too, uh, the value language part piece of this because. A lot of people don't really know that, for example, international paper with with this leak alert system and the capability of the online BPPC and staying in the box 98%, they will allow an asset clean to be extended for 18 months. And I think they value that somewhere between one and one and a half million dollars. 
and then cost avoidance for an ESP, emergency shutdown, uh, they will value uh, not having to do an ESP because they know it's an economizer leak, for example. Uh, that could be worth a minimum of a half a million dollars. And so when we talk about what they have to invest to make this work, they already know that value. We just need to remind them or we need to get comfortable with that value proposition that it's, it's a million and a half ROI for Three or four hundred thousand dollar install. Hey Barry, this is this is David. So that's, I mean, that's exactly the kind of value delivery equation we're looking for in this business. And and I and I let me let me ask a question. So I, and I'm not a paper guy. I mean, I spent my time in um, you know aluminum mills and steel mills, so I'm not a paper guy. But um, what what? kind of marketing do we do industry magazines what how do we get the word out it's one thing for us to have pitches and we're giving those kind of site by site and you know whether jim and you know you and rick and others are out there right with with some of the companies that we're dealing with but is there is there some marketing that could be targeted where we get the word out a little bit better sometimes i wonder um about how effective we are with that and um I, I guess it's an open question. So, David, it's a combination of things. It depends on which approach you want to take, but there are various channels that we proceed. We do white papers in technical magazines. We have certain paper magazines that are always looking or are usually willing to publish what we push to them. Um, when we do, like, paper con, tissue con, places like that, uh, we, we highlight the, any white papers that we have. We have them on hand, and they're part of the marketing lead-up to the show campaign. Um, some of the other things, and I've talked to Katie a little bit about this too, because uh, to get a little bit more airtime and more strategic focus um, marketing to uh, the, the water piece of pulp and paper, um, looking at emails, tw well, we do Twitters, we do LinkedIn stuff, but is there a, a way to do kind of targeted emails, targeted um, mailers, that kind of thing, outside of what we typically do through publications and magazines and trade shows? Okay. I, I just, I, I'm asking an open question, so I just don't know. I don't have an opinion one way or another. I'm yeah. just... When we've got a value proposition like this, and um, and, I, and I do think it's an outstanding piece of, a, of chem feed and control equipment um, that has value, how do we make sure that we've got the message broadly out there? And I, yeah. I don't know what's it, so I, I no. so what's the feel from the team? No, I, you no, know, I'm Jennifer, thinking. I know um, you're you know right. Hey, so we're we're doing something right now. What's the feel from the team? Um, on, on that. What do you guys hear on the ground? Hey, hey, Dave, it's Tom Bernard here. Um, just, I'm just thinking about this from another angle here. Uh, about, uh, you know, in my role as learning leader, I get contacted a lot by people trying to get my information to make a sales call on me for learning stuff and other things. And the only thing I'll give my email out for is if there's enough value in something, even though I'm expecting a sales call, I'll still sign up. And usually the things that get me are. Uh, sign up for a WebEx or a Skype type uh, training session on uh, you know effective sales training, but it's not given by the sales training company. It's given by like somebody from Harvard. Uh, study was done into like sales. I know it's sponsored by like Wilson or Richardson or something, and I know I'm going to get a sales call, but I sign up for it anyways because I want to hear what the Harvard guy's got to say, and uh, the price is the sales call I'm going to get afterwards. So. Now let me turn, flip that around to this. Um, if we if we've got some big value win stories, is there any way to do a kind of, you know, attend uh, <coughs> hear about the importance of uh, you know boiler control and how much money you can save given by one of our customers or given by somebody from a society or something? Uh, sure, it's sponsored by Salinas, but you know, come in here, you can save a million dollars by extending you know run lengths between cleanings and things like that, and then we get the list of everybody who signs up for it from all the mills 
that we send the invitation out to, and then we've got leads to go after because they're interested to hear more. So, I don't know, just an idea. Yeah, I just, I Dave, just, I, I, can tell, I can tell you in the last year we've given papers at AFPA um, on this, um, and that's how they, we've been getting it out in the past, but I do agree we need to expand on how we do that. I know that last year we gave it at te um, uh, Canadian TAPI. Um, we've been asked in other times to do it at uh, um, the TAPI, uh, um, the, uh, the Blairback in the past, um, not recently, but uh, in an AFPA. But uh, there's obviously more we can do that'll help us in that. And, and, and so you know, Dave, as well as I've asked Andrew, because it was something that I think last year we realized that there's an that there's an opportunity, especially on the on guard eye, to sort of revive it and relaunch it. And put the package around it to to go through um, again because I, there's there's a group of people in our organization that that know it well or are intimate to it, but we've had so much change with new people that it's time to kind of refresh it and and basically relaunch it like we had you know like we did years ago. So Andrew's got that on okay. um, his priority list to to kind of kickstart that and get it going. Okay. So this, all this feedback is really great because I think it. It's part of what's the best way to get the story out in the marketplace, and you want to use the channels that make the most sense that, that our customers are actually pay attention to. And I guess that's really my question. We've had a lot of stuff to do on training and value and um, across the board, right, internally. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's what that's what we sell. I mean, that's the, the our product is the person that's there, and we're arming them with chemicals and chem feed and control equipment. And I guess there there tends to be differentiation, if you will. Same thing with OnGuard 3B. Okay, uh, differentiation that exists, and I know it because I spent a ton of time in chem feed and control, and had frankly all of GE Water stuff, um, and led that business for years. Um, so I know exactly what they have and. What we have here is better. I'll just definitively say that, okay? And I'm not biased on it. I, I know what we have. Um, and then I just think, you know, and I, I'm talking to Nalco people, and they have been and just in various capacities, and they have no idea, actually. I'm trying to recruit certain people to the team. They have no idea that we have some of this stuff. And, and so I think to myself, okay, if my competitor doesn't know that, then, you know, I'm probably disconnected from the customer a little bit too. Um, so it's just a it's a it's a question that I you know I'm interested just from a you know from the team. I mean, who who would we want to target out there corporation wide? Maybe this is to Meredith and to to the corporate accounts team too um, that isn't aware of this um, and just get more. Just get more out there so that, you know, hey, we've got pull instead of push because it's it's a whole heck of a lot easier when someone's pulling on your product than when you're pushing it. And it comes with interest, and interest comes from this. And how do we communicate that is my question, and are we effective where we need to be effective? And I have no idea. It's a question. So I'm just, I'm just wondering. One other idea too, Dave, is 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 there a value calculator, uh, that a return on investment calculator or value calculator that pulls in some of that data? Uh, the reason I ask is that the other thing I've seen be pretty effective in this kind of stuff is um, you put it out there on a website and send it to prospects and say, come and plug and play. Put in your steam load, put in your pressure, put in this, put in that, and calculate and see what you could save if you can get better. And then when they see the number, they can say, contact, click this link to contact Salinas to uh, find out more. So kind of like when you're looking for a mortgage, you go online, you plug in all your numbers, and it gives you, you know, the payment rates. Let them come and plug and play and see how much money they could save if they could just get better. And they can yeah, get better. So I, th I think there's a number of mechanisms. My question is is broad. My question is, if we went into the customers that we're trying to garner, would they know of this? And I, then I think if you can answer the question and say, well, who does and who doesn't, then I think you can have this more tactical discussion about what we go do. But my question really is one of a broader nature to say, well, 
Do we feel like, so of the IPs, the GPs, the, hey, we've had our issues with Domtar, um, you know, those with craft recovery processes, would the organizations be aware of this? Do they know our capability? Can they distinguish? If they can't, then, okay, we need, we need to then talk about the tactics. So I, I guess the, what I'm asking here is a response to the broader question. Not the tactical stuff, but if I ask the sales team, when you go in and you talk to your customers about this, are they aware or are they not aware? I don't know. That's the question. And I don't know, can anyone give me a flavor for that? I, I think that I'd say there's an aware I'd say there's an awareness, but there is I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. Warehouser, so we had all the business at Warehouser, and we installed these at all the Warehouser sites. Yeah. Mine happened to be the first. Uh, IP knows about this. Uh, West Rock has um, Demopolis, which Jeff Doggett, anyone who wants to talk to someone who knows how to do these as well, Jeff is, is, is one of them. Uh, West Rock knows about it. GP, I know that Jim Meredith has had conversations with GP about all this stuff, and I believe at some point GP said that we don't market as well. Um, so, yes. People know about it, but I I would venture to say that not as many people on the ground uh, know how to market it or sell it as well as some of our competitors do. Yeah, that's my, that would be my impression. Yeah. This is Jim Meredith. Where where we have corporate uh, presence in some of these corporations, uh, I think those corporations know more about it than the others. For instance, like graphic packaging. We haven't had a strong corporate presence, so they don't know about it. They didn't know about it. IP knows about it because most of the mills, in fact, almost all the mills except for two that we have have this controller in it. Georgia Pacific knows about it because Carl Morrency's seen it at uh, a couple of sites and thinks this is great. So in the feedwater audits, these corporate technology folks share that information with the local sites. Now, not all the GP mills will know about it, but most of them will. Uh, West Rock. I would say that the West Rock Mills, where we have it in, they have, uh, have, and those people have been promoted to other mills, they will carry that knowledge with them, but not all the West Rock Mills know about it. And Resolute, they know about it at the corporate level, but the corporate level hasn't had good influence over the mill sites, so a lot of the Resolute sites don't, don't necessarily know about it as much as the IP and GP. Where, we, where we've obviously had a concerted focus to drill this into the technology group. So the corporations that have strong technology groups, we can work with them, educate them on this tool, and they can spread it to their sites. But I think that's probably what we're already doing with most of the sites, with most of the corporations. Does that kind of answer your question, Dave? Yeah, I guess oh, what I'm trying to get to ultimately is, right, uh, how do I drum up more interest and pull from companies that we can go grow our business with. And it's just a broader question. I mean, you can, you know, to kind of to Jennifer's point, there's the broader stuff and you're hoping that someone picks something up. I'm more of a targeted, uh, you know, approach. I think you have to do both, don't get me wrong. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I, I think we have to do it. I'm just, it's just more, how do we get this in the mills that we're trying to go after? Um, right. To the corporations we're trying to penetrate. How do we get to the right people and get, you know, hey, there's the corp there's the corporate people and then there's the ops people on the ground. And how do we get in front of them and target this and get this word out and make sure that we've got a, let's just say, a campaign around it to go make sure we're driving the hell out of it versus. Um, One of the things that's on my list to do that I want to get done, but I wanted to make sure we got it set up the right way is I want to have a booth, a hospitality suite at Blairback. And you got to spend some money. You got to throw out some money for some shrimp and oysters, or not oysters, but shrimp and chicken fingers and beer. That's easy to do. And then you have everybody come by and just look at it. But I want a dummy model set up that looks like it's simulating an actual boiler, and have some kind of computerized program running so that they could see and just have it loop and run through, where they could see what the controller would look like hanging on their wall, and the benefits that they would get from that thing controlling their boiler. So once we can get some kind of simulation that will run through an actual eye controller, we can set it on a table, have a hospitality suite, 
and then we'll have access to everybody that has a recovery boiler or a supplier that's working with recovery boilers like uh, Andritz or people like that can come by and, and look at this device and see how creative and how unique it is. Okay. Okay. Let me take it offline. I, I, I just uh, think we've got something here, and um, I don't think there's any question about that, and I didn't mean to hijack the conversation. So. Andrew, actually, to answer it even further, Andrew's coming to Blair back this April, and we're going to kind of look around and kind of scope it out and set the plans for doing something like we just talked about in the next Blairback meeting, which okay. would be the October, I guess. All right. Thank you. All right. Um, great. Great discussion. Dave, if you can wrap it up real quick. Um, yep. All right, so the last point I was going to say on here is uh, a lot of our competition can send stuff to their web-based um, data centers. Uh, we use OnGuard Online, which I use specifically for writing reports, troubleshooting, and things like that, and it stores all the data. And I actually pull that data for my recovery boiler audits. So uh, I only have two slides left, but this is one slide that Marshall and Scott have helped me uh, with this particular um, a problem at this site. But out of all of this, what this is doing is it's showing how when we get false data or get some crazy operation, our chem feed will adjust exactly as it's supposed to to keep us inside the box. So I'm showing you trends here. Again, this is all off of OnGuard Online. Anyone that has a unit, send it to OnGuard Online. It's very easy to set up. I can even help you if you need it. But this is the trends. This is proof showing uh, right in the middle of the box, that's where we were before we had the upset. The slight northeast, that's when the upset happened, and our equipment controlled it perfectly to still keep us in the box 100% during all this back in uh, December of last year. So um, you need to have this data. You can pull it. You can troubleshoot it when the customers ask you is your stuff responding the way it's supposed to? And they've done this to me to test me and I pull it up and they get up. We agree with you hundred percent. So, uh, gotta, gotta use on guard online as well. So that's my presentation. And I know we've had a lot of questions, but anyone else has any questions, let me know. Or if you want to contact me, uh, offline, do so. And Marshall and Scott now have my presentation, this one and a customer facing presentation that we can send out for anyone who wants to use that as well. All hey, right, Dave, nice. this was a really nice job. Really, really nice job. Well prepared. Thank you for this. Yep, I agree 100%. Out, outstanding, Dave. Fantastic. Um, also, I sent out a note here a uh, couple of weeks ago, probably, um, about the SharePoint site uh, that uh, Joe and I created. Uh, thank you, Joe, for all your help in doing that. But so basically, it's just uh, under SharePoint, uh, under Sites, the Pulp and Paper University is the name of it. It's 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 where all the documents, you know, the presentations from from every meeting to date. Uh, the one uh, Stevens and David's from today aren't in there yet, but as soon as we hang up, I'll I'll load them up. So if everybody can see my screen, um, you know, I just encourage everybody to to follow this site. And uh, like I said, under the document section, and even you know, just case in point here, what we were talking about. Um, and I, I'm not sure, David Jellison, if you you're aware of this, but um, I uploaded uh, Anderson Bieber uh, from down in Brazil, um, uh, authored this article for uh, Pulp and Paper Logistics Magazine, um, and uh, well, that's stored there it's it's having a hard time <laughs> loading of course of course but um but i've actually got a i got a hard copy of it here for everybody can see can everybody see my screen yes okay so so this article was put out it's it's got a little bit of a i guess i'll call it outside the u.s uh, flair to it but a, but a very good article and is an example of one of the things inside that broad spectrum of uh things you were talking about uh dave um that he put out i thought was very good so uh just as a for instance uh if people you know it's a it's a place for people to to gain access to that um well sorry i, I lost i lost the whole thing here but um so that that's what this uh 
SharePoint site is all about. So that document is stored there. Again, uh, we recorded today is the first uh, meeting that we've recorded. The video or the video and audio recordings will be stored here on this site. Um, updates, um, as you can see, you know, I knocked off Andrew and, and said Anderson was going to talk, but of course that didn't happen either, kind of last minute. But, but anyway, I just wanted to make sure everybody is aware of the site because as time goes on, I'm uh, planning on, or I say I, we team, we're planning on, you know, developing this a little bit further to make it easy from a quick link standpoint for uh, training. Specifically, Marshall and I discussed that just this morning about using this site as uh, maybe a place to put a put a lot of stuff in one place um, for all the you know all of our field sales reps to access specific training documents on calculations, inspections, best practices, all those sorts of things, uh, and uh, as as they relate to the pulp and paper industry specifically on this site as well. So. Anyway, that's all I have. Unless anybody has any comments, I, I appreciate uh, those of you who are able to stay over an extra 12 minutes. Um, but I think we had a great discussion today, and uh, I, I appreciate everyone's uh, contributions and comments. Thank you for attending the Boiler Podcast. We hope that you found the information useful. Please be sure to check the technical training site within IWT for any other resources and information you may need.